Oh, you just sounded really weird on my end there. Yep. Robotic strange. You sound like a robot right now. Welcome back to Mongering Years. My name is Corey. Ellen and April are with me. Hi, Hi everybody. Uh, we have uh, three things to talk about today. Uh, first off is Fumi Yoshinaga's Antique Bakery, which was published by DMP. Uh, I stopped because the spine of the first volume says DMI on it. Like, oh well. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, for our newer series, we'll be talking about the first volume of My Solo Exchange Diary, the sequel to My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness, as it says on the cover. Uh, and then, in a special segment, we will be talking about the epilogue to Solonin, which was recently released at TCAF. Uh, the first off is Antique Bakery, which is uh, about this guy who is a baker and, a uh, his words, a gay with demonic charm. Uh, and uh, he just works at this bakery that, that uh, his old... Uh, what would you call him? His old flame? Oh, yep. Or is that only if you've been in a relationship with somebody? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I always thought you could use that for crush as well. But the other character does not reciprocate this gay demon, gay demon with charms, affections. Yeah. Yeah, so he's the he's the owner. Uh, he's kind of this scraggly-looking dude that uh, is very charismatic and intelligent. Uh, and they have an assistant who is a former boxer that just really likes sweets. Uh, and this whole manga is just kind of about uh, them running the bakery, uh, them dealing with each other's lives. It gets a bit more into the weeds of their lives, getting, getting into like the third and fourth volume, uh, some backstory into the scruffly dude. I am realizing I don't remember any of their names. <laughs> That's what Wikipedia is for, Corey. Yeah, well, it's too late for that now. Uh, let's Google it and then egg out the silence. I think maybe his name is Conda? That's maybe. the boxer dude. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, that's right. So Conda is the boxer. Uh, Tachibana is mm. uh, the owner. Uh... He's also known as Keichiro or Keisuke. That's confusing. Uh, I only remember Keichiro from the, uh, as his first name from the manga. Then Ono is the main pixie seer. Uh, yeah, and Kanga is the boxer, and then they have a couple other uh, characters. Chikage is Sachibata's old friend that comes in like the second volume, I believe. It's kind of a collects. Uh, and there are a, a couple other like tertiary characters, but those are the main four. Um, so I've not read uh, any Fushi Fushi Fumi Fumi Yoshinaga. There we go. Uh, I don't think I've read any Fumi Yoshinaga before this, uh, 
but I had known her uh, stature within like the manga community. Uh, and Gaina had all of her published works. Like we were looking up last night, and some of the volumes that she has are worth hundreds of dollars. Oh wait, what? <laughs> Does she have like everything that's published in English, or some of the Japanese volumes? Yeah, or? everything that's published in English. Oh wow. I didn't know she had that many series published in English, since I'm also familiar with Oku, The Inner Chambers. I read a little mm-hmm. bit of that one. And yeah. I know that Vertical was putting out What Did You Eat Yesterday? Mm-hmm. But those are both more recent releases. I didn't think any of those would be so expensive. No, none of those, as far as I know, are expensive. But DMP uh, released some other ones. And I think Blue uh, is the manga company that released some other other of hers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got a couple of, like, two-volume series, a few one-shots that I've just, like, randomly found at conventions and stuff. And she's got uh, some other stuff floating around out there. Yeah. Oh, oh, and for any listeners who might be confused, this was back in the day when DMP actually did publish manga in physical copies, not just online. And if I recall correctly... (laughs) And if I I recall correctly, the Antique Bakery volumes came with scratch and sniff covers, even. They do, they do. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't realize they were scratch and sniff until Dana was like, did you scratch them? I'm like, no. I I never did since I read Antique Bakery through my local library, so I assumed that the books had probably already been through quite a bit of law. Quite a lot. (laughs) I'd already been through all the smelling. (laughs) So much scratching and sniffing on those library books. Uh, <laughs> but uh, what did you two think of the manga? Um, I so I reread it for the podcast, but before now, I re I read it a number of years ago. Um, I I've always really enjoyed it. It it feels like a classic series to me, or at least classic Yoshinaga. And then it's sort of uh, the the character interactions are really sort of. I guess her, the sort of day-to-day interactions they have that sort of fold into a larger story or how it explores their various relationships with each other or the customers. Um, this has always been one that I've really enjoyed, so I was uh, I was excited to go back to it and look at it again. So, yeah, for me, it's a, it's a classic. Yeah, I remember at the time I didn't think too much of it, but now looking back on it, I'm like, wow, it's kind of unusual to have a non-BL story with a very obviously openly gay main character and it's pretty heavily implied that Ono and um, Chiage, Chikage like each other. Yeah. Wikipedia has a little note about some doujinshi where there's <laughs> apparently an intimate relationship. So. Of course. Yeah, I don't know why. I think when I was starting, I let's see, I read this, must have been when I was in high school or college, since I remember what library system I was reading it from. And I think back then I was noticing a lot of queer coding in anime. And so I just kind of assumed it was always canon, but now I'm a little older and I know, oh, that's more teasing a lot of times. It's kind of unusual to get it a little more obvious and confirmed. Yeah. Also, I keep remembering some manga. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was nice. Oh, yeah, one of the characters was kidnapped as a child and now has a weird thing (laughs) about cakes. I'm like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was something. Uh, Quite a reveal. Uh, because as, as you heard in Corey's description of the manga, like that's not what you expect going in. You're like, oh, it's sort of slice of life. It's four men running a cafe in their lives. And one of them was kidnapped as a child, and he's looking for the kidnapper ever since based on the cake that he served. <laughs> Hoping that he comes into the cake shop. This is a very <laughs> long ploy, Gambit. <laughs> yeah. Did you all feel like it was... Uh... 
what's the word I'm looking for? Like that was just too, like it was too much or it didn't tie well enough. I sort of thought it did. I mean, it was kind of out there, but I still uh, thought it sort of tied in okay to where it wasn't like completely outlandish. It was getting there, but I didn't think it was too bad. Yeah, in the context of the story, it ties in well, since a lot more of it has to do with kind of the trauma Keisuke went through, Keichiro went through by having this happen to him, and just how that's kind of affected him ever since, and that worked really well. But it just, thinking back on it, and, you know, about having reread it recently, I'm just like, wow, that just seems really dissonant. <laughs> it definitely didn't seem as dissonant in the moment, though. I've both read the manga and I've seen the anime. It was a Noitamina title, so of course I've seen it. Yeah, I didn't think it was weird uh, when I was reading it. At the beginning, not at the beginning, but like somewhere in the middle of the of the third volume, um, his presumed assailant shows up, uh, but he's just kind of an old dude that eats <laughs> sometimes now. Uh, so you're not really sure why he's showing up besides, well, this guy is probably the one that kidnapped him because he's of the approximate correct age. Uh, and then they, they do a news program where kids are being kidnapped again. Uh, so that all just kind of ties that larger story together. So it didn't seem weird in the moment, though maybe I'll look back on it and be like, Helen was right. <laughs> wasn't there some detective work being done with cakes as well with the current kidnapping yeah story? yeah yeah uh so there was the kids were uh being kidnapped fed cakes and then killed which is very tragic obviously uh <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, they just scanned the uh ingredients in the cake's stomachs uh and like there's nothing particularly uh, unique about the ingredients within the stomach, but there is something unique about the combination of ingredients, which you can, of course, only get at the antique bakery. Yeah, it doesn't seem uh, as outlandish when you read it. It seems like it ties all in together well. So <laughs> it didn't Corey seem strange at the time. It, yeah, it doesn't. It didn't seem strange then, but then listening to Corey explain it, it sounds a little strange. But yeah. it, it makes more sense uh, in the context of the uh, the actual story. Yeah, Yoshinaga mm-hmm. can can tie everything together pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but going back to uh, what you're talking about with uh, Ono being out, uh, there is like some some general commonalities of uh, being out in this time, especially in, or what I, from what I know about Japanese society, he's kind of uh, removed himself from his family who uh, either like deny his gayness or shun that existence in general, it seems. Uh, only like one of his sisters reached out in the entire four volumes. Uh, and that's just because she was getting married and she wanted Ono to be there uh, and also make her a cake. Uh, <laughs> but it is, uh, he, he, uh, he seems to accept uh, his being gay and he largely, he became a Petitier largely out of uh, accident because of it. Like, he can't get many other jobs uh, because he's gay. Uh, except, like, every place that he works at uh, as a baker, like, he turns someone gay and then uh, he has to get fired because he causes this drama of all the guys want him. So I guess he's the uh, that dude from Scott Pilgrim that also did that Wallace Wells. <laughs> I have not seen that movie. 
it's been even longer since I've read the Scott Pilgrim series. <laughs> yeah, and um, it, it, I seem to recall that Ono in some ways isolated himself from his family as well, since he studied cake baking in France, I think, yeah. which is a ways from Japan. And it makes sense, like, France still has this wonderful reputation for being where the best chefs often go to train, mm-hmm. but it's still a ways away. <laughs> I believe he was chasing a guy when he went to France. He still chased a guy all the way to France. Yeah. If that's the case. <laughs> nice dedication. And that was also, that particular man whose name, of course, escapes me now, they had a terrible relationship. It was not a very good relationship dynamic at all. The, if was I'm that remember- the mentor? Yeah. Yeah, the, the mentor yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wikipedia they, says that's John Baptiste. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they did not. That was not um, a healthy relationship dynamic where basically uh, Jean Baptiste was angry all the time. And it just that was a bit of a mess. It was a bit of a mess. Yeah. And I think that relationship was portrayed like the reader was supposed to see that it was a bad relationship. It's mm-hmm. not just us as mature adults looking at it going, that's a bad relationship. It's even the readers are going, oh, this is not a good relationship. Yeah. Yeah, there there's abuse, like physical abuse involved in that, to make it uh, a little more explicit. So yeah, is that why the DMP volumes always had the like content warnings on some of the volumes? Yeah, I wondered why that was, actually, now that you brought that up. I mean, I guess I don't, nothing jumps out at me anymore because I'm older, but I was kind of like, where is that coming from? And that that's probably part of it. When I was younger, I just thought it was because they had gay characters in there. <laughs> I was a, a cynical teenager, Helen. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we haven't talked as much about Kanada, even though he's still one of the major characters. <laughs> trying to think of what particularly stuck out to me about him. He seemed like he he had a fairly interest a fairly interesting backstory, or at least liked. Um, so he, like Corey mentioned, he was a boxer before, um, but he eventually had to give that up because he had detached retinas. So I feel like that. I liked seeing that experience of somebody that's had something they've been into their whole lives and he has to go do something else and figure out who he is outside of just being a boxer. So really each of the main, what, four characters or so, they have sort of backstories like that about how they came into the bakery. It could just be a series about like day to day bakery stuff. And in some ways it is, but, um, Yoshinaga particularly explores how each of the characters got there or what led them there and how they all wound up together. So I thought that that was interesting. I just feel like it's almost a trope in and of itself. Someone who is very unlikely to become good at X becomes good at X. (laughs) And he was supposed to be better than Ono at some point, or or at least Ono thought that he eventually would be. I'm like, wow, that must be nice to be talented at, like, two things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they were prepping Kanada because they were thinking at some point he would probably go to France to continue studying, so they were trying to, like, Mm. get him to already start studying French then. Yeah. Yeah, Kanada seems like uh, a character that was often acted upon rather than uh, doing his own thing in terms of like large uh, character moments. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, since he is also the youngest of the cast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think he's like 23 or something. Like oh, everyone man. else is in their 30s. I thought he was 18. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for some reason I she thought she was. She them all so young. Uh huh. Yeah. No, well, maybe he was younger than I remember. No, I think I think you're right, but I remember throughout the series I thought that he was 18. But yeah, because I think uh, Chikage is maybe the oldest at 34. I read that in one of the in the beginning of one of the volumes. I think everyone else is about 32 or so. 
because Kukage is older than Ono, since Ono was, I think, a first year when Kukage was graduating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting cast of characters, to say the least. Yeah, and Kukage, he's... Is he divorced or is he widowed, since he's got a daughter? Uh, Kukage uh, was convinced to have the daughter by an aging woman. I did not remember that detail. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were uh, they were never married. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Kikage kind of realized that he is not father material, so he just stepped out of the picture. But I think the the girl knows the situation. I didn't know that yeah, Duke Jinchi that you were talking about was by the author. Yeah, that's no, not I just, just what the Wikipedia page the, is telling. Uh huh. I was just glancing on the Wikipedia page to double-check character names, and that's where it came up. <laughs> I do wonder what makes it a doujinshi, then, if it's by the author. Uh, that is also a good point. Not published <laughs> by... He has to do uh, being self-published. Yeah, not published by Shin, so- Shin Shokan, I guess. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what it is. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, well, any final thoughts on Antique Bakery before we take a break? Um... It's a nice series to revisit. Um, I think it's. I don't want to. I don't know if you call it classic BL because it's not really BL, but I guess that's always the way that I've thought of it, and I felt like that was the way it was uh, received in the community. Um, but to me, it's a classic, and I think that it's worth reading. And if you haven't read it in a while, I think it's a good one to revisit. Um, you get attached to the characters. Um, uh, the first time that I read it, I was kind of sad when the fourth volume ended just because I'm like, well, I'm never going to see these people again. And even uh, rereading it, I still have that same feeling. So it, I, I like it. It's a good one. Yeah, it's from 1999 to 2002. So I guess that counts as classic by now. Yeah. And explains <laughs> very pointy chins. Um, I, I feel like I haven't given the manga a fair shake in this podcast since it really does fit together nicely and coherently much more than what my memories are. And Corey's like, oh, yeah, that also happened explanations here <laughs> it, it does work together quite nicely and i feel like you can probably still pick this manga up secondhand i don't believe it's been licensed rescued by anybody but i think you could probably find it although the covers might not still be scratch and sniff by this point well, they might not smell good anymore <laughs> as long as it doesn't smell bad though you're good <laughs> rotted cake. just browsing uh amazon antique bakery volume one is 32 dollars but volume two is five dollars and eighty-one cents. <laughs> volume three is three twenty-four. Volume four is eight sixty-six. I'll never understand the secondhand manga market. I remember the fourth one being especially hard to find at the time, even through uh, DMP's website. I'm pretty sure that's where I bought these. But huh, I'm surprised to see that's a little bit cheaper now. Uh, they might have it still digitally, but uh, I don't know what new platform they went to, or uh, whether I would want to give them that money. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to recall that we've got a good write-up on the OASG talking about Akadot and Emong and DMP's latest activities, but mm-hmm. I, I've been a little too tired to keep up with that. <laughs> uh, well, check that out, if that exists, on the OASG. Until then... Wait, we're not going to wait for you to check that out, but uh, we will take a break. <laughs> you can always pod the po- pause the podcast, take a break, and then come back. Yep. All right, break time. I've just got to be your You keep pushing. 
are back for the second half of Manga in Your Ears. Um, and for the second half, we are going to talk about My Solo Exchange Diary by Nagata Kabi. It is actually the sequel to My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. Uh, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness came out, I think that Just it was last year. Just last year. So it came out uh, last June during Pride Month. And then um, My Solo Exchange Diary is the follow-up, at least this first volume here, to that that just came out uh, also this June. Um, and in both series, uh, they're sort of they're sort of autobiographical, if not totally. Um, and the author um, explores, uh, at least in the second series, she explores how she deals with her success of the first series. So my lesbian experience with loneliness uh, was pretty popular and it sort of shot her up in popularity, but uh, she's still the same person that she was before. So she has a lot of the same issues that she had um, the first time around. So she deals with uh, moving out of her parents' home, um, trying to date as she's gay, um, sort of dealing with mental illness and just sort of trying to live um, even as a famous author, which uh, I guess you would think that it would be easier for her, but it has not been easier for her. So the uh, second volume, the second part, My Soul Exchange Diary, uh, is actually her just writing a diary to herself and sort of asking, how are you now? How are you doing? Um, and she goes through various uh, thoughts, uh, her relationship with her mother. There's a lot of different things just in this one volume. Um, I was a particularly big fan of my lesbian experience with loneliness, but uh, my soul exchange diary feels um, a lot heavier uh, than the first series. Uh, she explores a lot in this, um, and they're divided into sort of discrete chapters with different themes. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot going on here. So I just kind of want to toss it to you all and see what you all thought. In some ways, it reminded me a lot of when some of my friends are going through a lot of trouble, and I'm like, okay, I'm here, and I'm going to listen to you, but please also talk to a therapist. I cannot help you on your own. <laughs> so I was reading this, and I was like, oh, God, I hope she's talking to a therapist or someone, someone who has the professional knowledge about, okay, I understand what you're going through. Here are some things to try and help you get through this. And she really does have a number of different things all tied up together at once. Yeah. Like she both yeah. loves her mother a lot, but also recognizes that her mother is not always the best influence in her life. She's a lot of trouble with moving out a couple of times, you know, both financially and also guilt. And it's like, oh my God, you've got so much going on in your life. <laughs> I'm glad it sounds like she's got the eating disorder basically tucked away, though. I'm glad she's at least got one thing going better in her life. Yeah. And it appears no more hair loss, either. Yeah, I'd forgotten good. about that. <laughs> yeah, I think she has uh, at least talked to a therapist. If she is not talking to a therapist, uh, they congratulated her on publishing that first volume of uh, My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. Yeah, I think that was the person she was speaking to about her eating disorders. Yeah. And she totally could be talking to a therapist and just not writing down this autobi autobiographical yeah. exchange diary. Like, that would be totally legitimate, and I would respect that choice on her part. Yeah. She does share a lot of things. Uh, there, uh, yeah, April, you said that it was a, a bit heavier, and I think it is uh, heavier in a lot of points, but it does have uh, uh, a few uplifting moments 
uh, near the end, and then some some funny moments throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't I don't specifically remember how funny my lesbian experience with loneliness was with like ex- kind of one-off jokes, but mm-hmm. uh, a couple of these got a chuckle out of me. Mhm, mhm. It it does seem like she's she's able to maybe laugh a little bit like a little bit because she's she's got a lot going on but it does seem like um in this in this particular one she's able to laugh a little bit more or she's able to um at least uh step back from her feelings a little bit so i do think that was somewhat of a difference for for this one Mm -hmm. yeah i also agree that this felt like a heavier installment um, and I think part of it was because her life just goes up and down like a roller coaster, mm. which is really realistic. But it's always so hard to live through life when you're just going down depres- into depression and then kind of coming up at it and then going back down again. It's just so hard to live through. And seeing someone else go through it is not much easier on your emotions. Yeah. Right. I was honestly surprised that she was so open about some things like dating. It's like, wow, you're dating someone and you're going to put this down where everyone can see. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, I kind of felt bad for that. I mean, I guess that she uh, it she made it pretty clear that she talked to the woman about what she was going to put in the series. And I think yeah. um, what she went through in terms of dating is very common, but it's kind of like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, we don't normally talk about that part or, you know, it's just... I don't know. I think we kind of expect these narratives where, oh, she meets somebody and they get together and like she's happy and she's finally able to date and et cetera, et cetera. And it just uh, it it played out a lot more realistically uh, than I expected. So and that's also towards the end. Um, And like Helen said, it's so it's so up and down throughout. It could have just been the uh, the the narrative pieces that she chose, but it very much feels up and down. So in one chapter, it's like, I'm moving out. And then in the next chapter, it's like, Oh, I'm coming back. And then in another chapter, it's um, her examining her relationship with her mother and all, all of that kind of stuff. And it feels very much up and down, but it also feels like somebody's life. Um, so that's, that I think is what contributes to it being so much heavier than the last one. Also think, um, in the last volume, we were also just getting to know the author. So in this in solo exchange, we sort of have a, a little bit of a sense of who she is. Um, so the ups and downs, at least for me, were harder to take. You sort of want to see her succeed or what we think of success as. And the ups and downs are just like, oh, I just wish that she would get a break, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have... Uh that that previous knowledge of her so we're rooting for her but then she mentions in the volume that like she does search for a confirmation bias sometimes on twitter or online and like that's not satisfactory to her so she needing to find uh her own self-worth within herself and like stop defining herself by what her mom thinks of her or what her fans think of her or whether her editor likes her work. Like, she needs to like her work uh, for on their own merits rather than liking her work because someone else likes her work or liking herself because someone else likes herself. And it's also a good reminder that just because you're self-aware of your problems doesn't mean the problems go away. Yeah. Like, that it can help you take care true. of some of the problems, but... <laughs> like, I did like her true. saying some things, like, she was cleaning more when she was on her own, you know, partially because she wasn't being nagged about it to clean, and also because it was her problem. Or that it was easier for her to, like, visit friends on her own, because it was just... 
it was just different that like moving out of one sit- situation into another can really have just an even larger impact on your life that you might expect, which I totally sympathize with since I grew up in a relatively small city. So once I moved down to a larger area, I just was kind of inspired in some ways to just try more things that I'd ever tried in my small southern city. <sighs> right, right. Southern city, yeah. Um, I think one of the things that interested me, too, is not necessarily how her relationship with her mother changed, because I don't know if it did, more so how she viewed her mother in the context of her larger family. So I sort of thought that uh, her being able to look at who her mother is as a person in relation to her father and in relation to uh, her mother-in-law and how her her mother also struggled with um, being able to take care of her father and uh, the mother-in-law. Uh, I thought that was at least a good a good thing to look at in terms of growing up because I think a lot of what happens, part of what happens when folks grow up is they sort of start to see their parents outside of their parent role um, instead of just somebody that just um, is there to sort of guide you along or does xyz they sort of start to see their parents outside of their relationship with themselves um so i thought that was interesting for her to touch on i I kind of wasn't expecting that in this particular volume yeah and i could also definitely understand her feeling a bit of guilt about leaving since like i've moved a few hundred miles away from my parents and my mom basically has to take care of my stepdad right now he's got quite a few medical issues going on so i do feel guilty that i can't be there to help her and I'm definitely thinking, oh, God, a lot of my parents, uh, I've got four parents, my parents divorced and remarried, a lot of them are turning 60 this year, and I'm the oldest one. So at some point, I might just have to move back to North Carolina to take care of them. And it's like, oh, these are all sorts of weird, guilty feelings. I don't want to be yeah, having in my 20s. <laughs> definitely, yeah. Or even when she was just thinking about moving away from her mother, and she was like, well, if I'm, even if I move away, I'm always going to, she's always going to be in my head. And there's that picture of the house where the house is sort of pulling her back. Am I always going to come back? That was like super, <laughs> that was super relatable. So I'm, I'm sort of glad that it, that it touched um, on that. And then she sort of, everything kind of ties together. Even when she starts dating, she can see how that kind of um, how that kind of affects her dating life and everything else. It's just, it's interesting to watch her get to experience different things that in her head she's kind of built up. And then when she actually experiences them, it's kind of like this realization that, yeah, I'm experiencing these things that I always wanted to, but I'm still myself as I'm doing them. So I, that it's, it just was, I, I don't know. I really that really hit a personal chord, I think, for me. It's sort of good to see her connect with people, but she also has to deal with the fact that she's still herself even when she's doing that and she still has the same issues that she had that she's had. So I think uh that's a lot of the reason why I really was able to connect with this one. I would also like to add a small disclaimer that I am on good terms with all my parents, so I have good relationships. Not like <laughs> so do I, so do I. We should probably put that out there. <laughs> I think these are normal, complicated feelings for adults to have about their parents. If you have any sort of relationship with your parents at all. Especially for her having lived with them for 28 years. uh, There, there's kind of like an, an innate feeling of dependency, both like her on them and them on her. Well, I don't, 
I don't know that it was a major plot point, and I don't think that it was supposed to be, even in my lesbian experience with loneliness, the fact that she's uh, gay. But it does come up about, like, her father finding out, because the is it the, the first book, the original book, comes out, and he's not aware that... Um, that she's gay, and I mean, he's gonna. I, I guess I assume he's gonna find out when the first book comes out. So it does touch on that, and even that, like that whole conversation, or her and her mom sending texts back and forth about, like, basically, how is your dad gonna take it, or how do you think he's gonna take it? That's just, ugh, that's a whole nother topic in itself. <laughs> yeah, I feel I felt like her relationship with her father was even more strained since yeah. he was one. It sounds like he was more of the one who was saying things like oh, you won't be able to live with just a part-time job. Oh, I don't believe you're really going to rent, so I'm not going to get the paperwork to be your guarantor. All yeah, of those that things. Was, yeah, I don't really understand what the point neat. of him saying all those things was. It's like, you want your daughter <laughs> to keep living as a meat in your house? Like, yeah. I cannot get into his psyche there, and I don't know if anyone could say anything to make me get into his psyche, frankly. Yeah, the fact that he didn't get that paperwork together was, it It felt like he was trying to sabotage her. So, yeah, there's definitely yeah. some stuff there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, intentionally or unintentionally. Either way. But, yeah, there's a lot packed in this one volume. And I actually didn't realize that it was the first until I got the book and looked on the spine. I thought this was another one shot like the first one. Um, so there's a lot here. Um, and I don't know if you all sort of have final thoughts about it there's um we could probably spend a long time talking about this one or at least i could (laughs) so i don't know if you all just have final thoughts or there's there's a bunch i think my major final thought is that i'd still like to own my lesbian experience of loneliness just have it on my bookshelf so i can read it when i want but i'm a little less sure about this one just because it is so heavy hitting and so i'm like i kind of want to see how this will end or more where it'll go farther before i think about investing in it because for me buying a book is like i like this so much i want to reread it uh i will definitely continue buying them and really liking them uh i think like especially for uh the particular intersection of late 20 early 30s nerds that uh we often interact with this is gonna hit especially hard like they might not all be living with their parents but they all might have this same kind of feeling of uh wanting some sort of relationshipy interaction uh or at least maybe not like necessarily in a in a loving way uh or in a like intimate way uh Kavi doesn't seem to necessarily want it in a in an intimate way but she just wants to like have the opportunity to hold and be held and uh, I think that cuts pretty deep. God, that just reminded me of a tweet I saw on Twitter on the past weekend. Well, we might have to cut this one out of the show, but it was basically someone saying that, like, a lot of times, like, men she had dated in the U.S. just didn't know the difference between wanting to have sex and wanting to cuddle. And she's like, and my boyfriend's you know, erectile dysfunction disorder just disappeared completely when he realized, oh, he just wanted to cuddle. He didn't want a bone then. <laughs> and, and I was just thinking about that a little bit as there, because it seemed like when she hires the escort again, it isn't even so much that she necessarily wants to have sex, but she just wants to be held a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think she does recognize it on some level, but I was just thinking of that tweet as I was reading it. No, that's definitely a good point, because that comes up again. Um, that comes up again in solo exchange. Um, but I think Corey really, at least for my final thoughts, Corey really nailed it for me in that it's, for, 
in this particular case, this series like sort of intersects right where I am. So it's sort of that late 20s, early 30s, uh, sort of trying to rework your relationship with your parents and figure out who you are and try all these different things. Um, but you're still yourself and all of that. So uh, this particularly punched me in the gut. So I don't think that I would stop buying these. Um, this is definitely um, one of my favorite things to come out this year. And I was really looking forward to it, um, but I didn't necessarily think it would live up to my lesbian experience with loneliness. But it's for me, it has definitely um, sur- surpassed that. So it's definitely something that I would keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wraps us up for that series. And then um, we have a little bonus this week. There was a uh, Solanine epilogue. So we will be back to talk about that. Anyway. <laughs> We're back with a bonus section. <laughs> so one of the very first titles we talked about on this podcast was Solanine by Ino Asano. And Ino Asano was one of the guests of honor at TCAF, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, about a month back in, where else, Toronto, Canada. And partially in celebration for this, Diz put out Solanine and Epilogue, which is a little two-chapter, not a summation, but truly just an epilogue to Solanine. Uh, if you were one of the lucky few, you could buy it in person or buy it online physically. Otherwise, you can get this digitally from Viz. As soon as I saw that, a rather mm, prominent tw- uh, manga Twitterer tweeted out <laughs> the link out to this, I ran and got my coffee because I know he has a lot of followers and they would get sold out immediately. And then they did. Yes, and then they did. <laughs> so, Solanine was the story of some young 20-somethings. I think just recently out of college, focusing especially around Mako Inoue, who is an office lady, somewhat dissatisfied with her life. Her boyfriend seems to be mooching off of her a little bit. She's a little unfocused, and then gains some more focus through the band that they're all a part of. One of the large things about Solanine is that her boyfriend is rather tragically killed in the story. Uh, I know it's not discussed in this little epilogue, but Ino Asano actually said some things, I believe, at TCAF that were translated, which are a bit of an interesting insight as to why that happened, especially with the boyfriend. But this epilogue is, like I said, it's a little two-chapter look, um, partially at Mako's life as it's been, it doesn't say in the story, but it felt like it had been a while. It felt like it had been close to a decade, yeah, I think so this almost is, real time. Yeah, I think this is a real-time uh passing of time so he he says in the afterward it was meant to be for the 10th anniversary but it's for the 11th anniversary now <laughs> so i think it's 11 years after the end of solo lane mm-hmm. so there's a little look at where she is now and then there's also a small look at i think it's the apartment that she used to have with a new couple of people coming in to look around at it and wondering oh who must have lived here before we know it was an office lady and here's a guitar pick on the floor and them just imagining what kind of life Mako may have lived, and so sadly they imagine a life that's, that was a little rosier than what actually happened, given the tragic death of her boyfriend and the impact that had on her and their entire friend group. So I know both of you are very big Ino Asano fans. I'm sort of... Solanian was good, but that's the only one of his that's really clicked with me. So I'm especially interested to see what you guys thought of this epilogue, especially since, as we discussed before this was going, 
I was looking through the first chapter and I was like, I don't think I know who any of these characters are. Okay. It really was like just a couple like bonus chapters. Um, Solanine was was good for me, but it wasn't like the series of his that sticks out. Um, so hmm, I don't really know how to. It's like I enjoyed seeing the characters again, but I guess I would have liked to have seen more of what happened to her other friends. Um, I did like how it was introduced with the couple in the beginning because I'm thinking, who are these people? Um, and then I like how it kind of flipped around. And they, they wound up uh, in the apartment and sort of guessing what happened to the people before. I did like that. I liked the way that that, that the epilogue was introduced. Um, but I don't know that I was particularly uh, surprised by anything that came up. So I was like, oh, well, that's what I that's I figured that's might be where people are um, in the series. But I do think it was nice that he revisited that. And um, I read it digitally because I wasn't lucky enough to get a physical copy. Um but uh, there, there's the maybe two pages at the end uh, where Asano talks about um, the death in the original series, um, where he was when he wrote the original series, where he was, I guess, emotionally or maturity wise. So I did, I did enjoy like seeing him revisited and what it meant for him. So it, I, I'm, I'm glad that he did touch the series again. Oh yeah, you're right. That section I was. Um that little um, write-up I was thinking of is also in this volume, so mm-hmm, people can yeah. check it out there. It's yeah. definitely um, a nice touch. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked this epilogue. Uh, Solonin is probably the favorite, my favorite Asano that I've read so far. Uh, I haven't checked out Pun Pun yet, um, so that might eclipse it. But, uh, yeah, this first chapter was a good reintroduction into like the world of Solonin, uh, while also being just like kind of generally cute. And then the second chapter uh, was uh, a good check-in on what's everyone, what everyone is doing, without uh, falling into the same ploys as like every other epilogue, like the Naruto or Harry Potter epilogues, where it's like, here's who fucked and here's their kids. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she is pregnant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he isn't. Uh, he isn't as explicit as. Uh, as those other ones. But that's, that's true. Yeah. Uh, April, I'm curious, which one is your favorite um, Asano work, then? Is it Goodnight Kundun? Yeah, although I haven't completely read all of it. I have all the volumes, and somehow I've never read it all. But it is easily, like, my favorite out of his. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I was listening to the podcast one panel later recently, and in a recent episode, one of the hosts was trying to explain the premise of Goodnight Poon Poon to the other, and it just... It's this really sad story, but like the main character drawn as a bird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird, but it's... Like although that reminds time. me of our talk about destruction recently, mm-hmm. where it sounded like it also had that juxtaposition between reality and something more fantastical, which is lacking in Solanine. So yeah, that, that's, that's what I was say. Yeah, that's that's yeah, yeah. There's definitely a difference there. So I'm afraid there isn't a lot to talk about this little epilogue, but hopefully us even talking about the epilogue has alerted a couple more folks that, hey, it's out there. You can go get this if you want just a little bit more of Solanine. But unless you guys have any more thoughts on this, I think we've wrapped up the show. Final thoughts? The only thing I would add, if folks are curious, is I was actually just peeking back. Our first episode is actually about Solanin and my lesbian experience with loneliness. If you all want to go back and uh, hear what we had to say about uh, the original series, um, it's episode one. So that should be fairly easy to remember. 
Mm-hmm. And it was almost exactly a year ago. Yep. Since... Oh, thank you. <laughs> Happy anniversary, because, yes. <laughs> because, let's be real, it, we're, we're definitely going to be talking about some non-straight comics during Pride Month because... Uh, we totally forgot strange. to mention that that's why we were doing this. Yes, it is Pride Month, although Pride Month is almost over now. Yep. Uh, so yeah, we've got a few, we've got a few different things coming up for Pride Month, and yes, it has been a year almost, <laughs> almost. I hadn't even realized that. Thank you guys for putting up with me interrupting you for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying, I swear. No, I, I got the interruption, so no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think if you're stolen, then you should read this. Uh, the the afterword uh, is a bit more uh, in depth into like Asana's thought process in Solon, which uh, was very enjoyable to read. So like, definitely read that at least if you're able. I mean, and the the digital copy is like four ninety nine on Amazon, and I don't want to say that like the the piece at the end is is the piece where he writes about the series is is worth five dollars but to me it was i mean it was just really interesting to see his thought process behind that i mean in the epilogue i think is maybe 45 ish pages or so and it's five bucks on amazon if if you're able to grab it so yeah it's it's kind of nice to see his thought process and see a little bit more about him and so with that if you want us if you want to follow what we're reading or send us any suggestions about titles we can cover in a future podcast you can always tweet at the main um Twitter handle for this podcast at Manga in Your Ears, or you can contact us directly on Twitter. Um, I am probably on Twitter the most out of everyone at Wander Dreamer. <laughs> I'm usually yelling about one thing or another. And you can also find my reviews over on the OASG, and I'm also the co host of the OASG's obnoxiously long titled podcast. <laughs> I'm told that I should stop blaming Justin for the title, and I should actually blame Muse instead for the title. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at MangioRen. I haven't been on there a whole bunch, but I have recently um, been there crying about my Soul Exchange Diary. So you can come find me there if you want to talk about that series. I would love to talk to folks about it. And find me on Twitter at ImpassionateK. I do another podcast called the Taiku Podcast, which talks about sports anime, usually. We have a loose definition of sport in the Taiku podcast. <laughs> I say we because I keep inviting myself onto this podcast for some reason. That's yeah, okay. But otherwise, thank you all for listening. Once again, we'd love to hear from people, so shoot us any suggestions you have. You can put reviews of us on iTunes, all that jazz that the cool kids talk about. Otherwise, we will see you all in about two weeks. Bye. Bye.